like to welcome everybody back to the House of Bricks podcast. I love all of my guests, but I'm especially excited to get into this conversation today. So this guy is probably, if not the most interesting man in the world, one of the top <laughs> three or four. So every time I see him, he's doing something different on Instagram, whether it's MMA fighting, boxing, getting his hand bit <laughs> off by a shark. And he actually <laughs> is an educated guy as well. He's a doctor. Uh, former Mr. USA. He beat me by one vote. I was very, very close, uh, but <laughs> it was a not runner. about me anymore. Right. <laughs> it's about other people. And so I got off the stage before they did the vote and I just handed Ivan the trophy. So it was much appreciated. Well, Thank like, you. <laughs> yeah. Any, anytime. Uh, I am the key to his success. Uh, so I'd like to welcome Dr. Ivan Rizilko to the show. Ivan, great to see you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. As I mentioned, you know, we're having on our show, we've had former NBA champions, top CEOs, business leaders. You and I met about 15 years ago and yeah. you were pioneering in the, the healthcare space, starting an integrative medicine business. But before we get into that, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, maybe some of your high school sports that you played, and then how you got into medicine. No, yeah. So uh, I hail from a very small part of the world called Meadville, Pennsylvania. So right under uh, Lake Erie, up there in the northwestern Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, I, I, I grew up playing hockey. Uh, I was actually offered to go into the OHL. Um, but I had also uh, been accepted to medical school within two weeks of that out of high school. So it was kind of a, uh, an interesting decision my dad and I had to make. Of course, helped me go the correct way as, as, as he puts it. We'll see, we'll see how that pans out eventually. And then from there, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't pursue the dream of hockey. So, um, you know, professional hockey. So I ended up playing D1 at Mercyhurst uh, College, which is in the Mac. And during that time there, um, I got into bodybuilding. You know, I, I did, was pretty successful at that, which turned into the Mr. USA title twice. I won in 2008 and 2010. I got to, you know, travel the world and just see and do shit that nobody really ever gets to. So it was amazing. During that time, I was also in medical school and I kind of figured out uh, medicine can be so much more than what it traditionally is. And during that time, I kind of formulated what uh, I, I would come to call lifestyle medicine, um, which is about treating people's lifestyles. Um, and this is through very, very in-depth diagnostic testing. Um, so every program is customized. So we're testing everything from neurotransmitters to hormones to uh, things like candida and heavy metals. Uh, and then once we figure out those kind of programs, we kind of match into whatever you like, better energy, better sleep, better sex, better mental clarity, uh, you kind of name it. And I started that practice in Miami Beach in 2011. And since then, you know, I've opened in Buenos Aires. I have uh, satellites. I have one in New York. I have two in Miami. Uh, we're working on a couple more, working on telehealth uh, as well. Um, but from that, I kind of developed something that I, I really enjoy. It's the first and only of its kind, which is kind of medical adventure tourism, uh, where we combine psychedelic therapy. Well, I guess we can call it psychedelic therapy. It's uh, ketamine therapy with, uh, you know, real world exposure to pretty interesting uh, events such as, you know, swimming with sperm whales, adventure canyoneering, uh, polar bear chasing, you kind of name it, um, which kind of takes people out of their comfort zone, gets them to grow on a mental, physical and emotional level. And it's become my passion. Um, I just got back uh, a couple of weeks ago from the Arctic, where we chased narwhals and polar bears, and I almost died in a Arctic blizzard. Um, but you know, you you get to grow with every one of those, and it's fun to see people who you know have spent their entire life amassing a fortune or fame, um, but have kind of sacrificed their health along the way. So to be able to reintroduce these people into what life really should be about, which is living, uh, not 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 accumulating, um, is kind of a special thing as both a physician and a, uh, a lover of life. Backing up a little bit. So, you know, I have four boys, they all play hockey. I know the level of commitment that it takes to get to 
you know, whatever level you reach, whether it's OHL, USHL, D1, was there ever a time where you felt like you made the wrong decision? Like you have your whole life to be an entrepreneur. Maybe I should have pursued my athletic career as far as it could go. There's there's not a day that goes by. I don't think about it. You know, I was the 245 pound guy who'd go out there and, you know, break bones. Um, and I was, I was, I was pretty damn good at it. I think I'd have done pretty well with it. Um, I ended up leading the nation in penalty minutes was top in scoring. It was just it was a situation where is I don't regret anything in my life because I, I love where I'm at. I love what I've done. And I love, you know, kind of the, the difference I've, you know, been able to help people make in this world. But there, you know, there's, there's not a day that goes by that I don't wonder if I'd taken a left turn instead of a right that night when I had to decide immediately because they were actually leaving for Ottawa when I had to make that choice, you know, within, within 20, 20 seconds. You know, I don't regret it, but you know, there's still a chance. I, you know, I, I think I'm in probably the best shape I've ever been in my entire life. So I'm, I'm not ruling out a comeback yet, even though I'm, a, I'm about to turn 40. <laughs> a comeback. Well, as you know, I did, after I sold my second company, decide to play professional basketball at 32 years old. You and I have that same level of commitment and discipline. We believe that we can do anything in life. I'll be the first one to, to put a vote in for you to make a comeback. So there, <laughs> there's still time. There's hope. Don't give up on your dream. So oh, of course not. you go into med school. When did you start competing or decide to compete for a Mr. USA title or get into bodybuilding? Was that while you were in med school? Yeah. Um, actually, it was kind of funny. I was the first year in medical school and I, I you know, had gotten to the, the, the whole bodybuilding thing. I'd done very well with it. And then that led to kind of like an international fitness type model deal, which was awesome. I was very lucrative and, you know, being, being a farm boy from, you know, Podunk USA, it was great to sit there and you like go to New York and have people you know, take pictures of you and give you money. I mean, you're like, you're like living in a fantasy <laughs> world. And then that just kind of led to them kind of they actually got a hold of me to come and try out because they would they were, the Mr. USA thing is not so much just about the body. It's about you have to have a story behind it. And me being, you know, first year medical student, they, they kind of liked it. You know, I've been in, the, in front of the camera several times, which they've seen. So I went there in Boston, lo and hold, but one, um, I won it. And, you know, I, I had to make the decision yet again with me and my father. And this time I didn't take his advice. I did take a year off of medical school. You know, I got kicked out of the house for a minute. But I think after he saw the first paycheck, he was he was OK with it. But, you know, my my medical school was awesome about it. They, they said as long as I come back and take the test, a fourth year would have to take um, and pass it. Then, you know, I could take the time off and come back. So I'd be sitting there, you know, getting shit faced one night. Then I'd be sitting there getting ready to, to, to walk a run race, studying kidney function and, you know, pulmonology. But I was able to do it. I got back into it, did very well, graduated top my class, won the Dean's Award. And that, that, that was kind of a fun little thing. When you realize you, you can accomplish anything, you just got to really put your mind to it. So I was able to conquer medical school in the fashion world at the same time, which, you know, I still don't know if I, I don't know how I did it, but, uh, you know, it, it was a lot of very, very long, long and fun nights doing it. The Mr. USA competition, everyone wants to look good. They want to have the six pack, have the guns, you know, like I do. And, mm -hmm. and I, I see you're sporting some guns there too. So it's just what type of discipline goes into that type of competition? Is it the, the mental part that's the most difficult? Is it the physical? Is it the training? Is it the nutrition? What enabled you to do that? I'd say it's mostly time management. When it boils down to it, you have to love what you do. I say, like, I always tell people you can't take weight loss, uh, weight loss advice from a fat doctor. So if you want to live and breathe this medicine and, and you know, charge what you charge for it, then you, you, you goddamn well better look the part. Same thing with bodybuilding. I mean, if you want to sit there and say you're a bodybuilder, you better have the, the mental fortitude, the testicular fortitude, and the overall and to get up early in the morning, to do the cardio that nobody wants to do, to, to make the diet choices. But you, you also have to do it smart. And that was one of the biggest things that I was able to do was, you know, I kind of figured out how to work smart not hard. Being a student in life, you know, I, 
I, I, in medical school, I, you know, you unfortunately don't get trained in anything about nutrition, which is probably the worst part about medical school. Um, I had to go out and get my nutritionist degree, which um, allowed me to make a lot more educated decisions on what I ate, because that's the most important part of bodybuilding is your diet. And then from that, I could take, you know, I could cut a lot of corners uh, when it came to my competitors who were, you know, hating life because they they figured they had to go so extreme when, you know, thankfully due to my education, I was able to do, do you know, consume a couple of things that you know, most people wouldn't. And from that, you know, it kind of gave me the extra edge to really enjoy it because you, you you have to enjoy these kind of things. You know, medical school is is like a marriage. Bodybuilding is like a marriage. You have to work work at it if you want it to, to actually work. And that's one of the situations to where you, you goddamn well better have fun doing it. In medical school, you said they don't teach you about nutrition. How were you able to make that connection between what you're eating and how you're working out? Because my office, we're connected to Lifetime Work. It's a or Lifetime Fitness. It's a five-story state-of-the-art fitness center. And not being judgmental, but 80 to 90% of the people that are in there, they're in there every day. They're working hard. They're trying things to lose weight, to get in shape. And yet they're not seeing any progress. What are they missing out on? Again, you know, there's there's no magic bullet, and looking good and feeling good is a three pronged approach. Uh, approach you have to have the physical aspect of it, which is the exercise. You have to have the mental aspect of it, which is the you know the commitment to it. But then there's also the the emotional aspect, which is the love of it. There's a lot of people going there thinking you know if you get in the treadmill and run for an hour, or if you you know bench pressing 500 pounds, you're going to look good, which is not the case. There there's so many different moving parts to it, uh, which is something I learned in medicine just to see how intricate the cardiovascular system is. I just just imagine what it takes to get a six pack. Uh, uh, so it's just it's just one of those things that there's a lot of people in there not working smart. They're they're working hard, which you know you you build different characteristics with that, but you aren't going to build the body you want by just sitting there and just doing the physical aspect of it. And miseducation or uneducation, I guess you could say, is is one of the the biggest viral components of what this world is right now. You know, and if you take a look at it, medicine's probably the most terrifying part of it. You know, physicians are not taught how to live a healthy lifestyle. They're they're taught how to manage a broken lifestyle. I learned that on you know pretty much the first year of medical school. You know, you spend three weeks on cholesterol medication and you spend one hour on what nutrition is. And it's just the situation is like, are, are we really trying to help people or just kind of profit from them? So that, that, that's one of the biggest lessons I learned, which I apply daily. And that's what's enabled me to kind of be the, the forefront, one of the leaders at such a young age when it first started. I mean, I, I came out at 28 um, as a full-fledged physician and nobody was doing what I did. And especially in Miami Beach, which is the sexiest city in the world, you think, you know, every doctor would be wanting to do it. But it was such an old school approach to, to such a, a basic but pure concept. It's just something I learned very quickly that you, you have to manage everything in life because everything is connected. Everything is you know, part of part of another thing. Getting the, the diet for that, getting cardio right, getting the actual fitness, how you're doing weights, how you're training, the mental aspect of it, the sleep, the hydration, the overall stress management, the sexual health. I mean, all those different things play into what, what you know, when you walk out on stage in a teeny banana hammock separates you from, uh, from, from the next guy. You also, like I said, and I, I can't stress this enough, you have to have enjoy it because, I mean, if you aren't having fun in life, there's no sense in living. Even though it was a very long road, a lot of a lot of nights where you know you're not sleeping because you're on call, then you're doing push-ups just because you can't get the gym because you know you're you're stuck doing surgery for ten hours a day. It's one of those things to where you know you have to come home and, and just and just really find enjoyment in the hard parts of what make you you. And that's one thing I was able to find. You know, I, you know, life's life's a party for me. There's there's not one day you meet me where I'm not at my best, at least on an emotional level. That's what I've come to find with um you know with, with the fitness aspect. I mean, I'm 39 and I'm you know I'm in better shape than I was when I was Mr. USA. And it's, it's, I'm working, I'm working out less. I'm more liberal on my diet, but I'm managing my hormones. I'm, I'm managing my sleep. I'm managing my stress, which, which goes 10 times further than going in and doing a thousand reps and, you know, 10,000 steps a day. 
um, which is nonsense, doesn't pay off in the end. So it was just one of those things that I learned very quickly. And especially coming from a small town out of a, out of a medical family, my brother's a world-renowned um, urological reconstructive surgeon. My sister is a PA and she does this phenomenal in, in everything she does. She works in the ICU, neurology, urology. My father was a chiropractor. My mom had her uh, BA in um, psychology. So it, it's a very medically driven household, but it's also a very motivational household. So those those who are around you, and this is why you know I love what you're doing with your podcast, you know, you are a collaboration when it comes to your emotional health and the people you surround yourself with. And, you know, I always try to tell people there's plus signs and negative signs in this world. And if you can't sit there and spend three hours on a car ride with somebody, get them out of your life. You know what I mean? Like, you know, everybody that I, that I consider a friend, I could sit there and, and drive to California with and not, not miss one beat of a conversation. You tend to find that people keep people in, in their life because they feel an obligation to, or they feel a need to benefit from them in some way, which just adds to the stress of what life is. And there's, there's no amount of money in this world. There's no car out there. There's no, there's no bank account that's worth, you know, being stressed every day. That's part of the biggest thing I've learned is that whatever stresses you in life, if you can get rid of that, the body will come, the energy will come. Everything will, will start to work out because there's, there's, there's no more roadblocks. Um, but again, it's a, it's a, it's a hard lesson to learn. And I've been very, very lucky because, you know, with, you know, I, I had some amazing parents the way they did it. I mean, my dad was the biggest biggest dickhead you could possibly think of up until I was 18 um, and until I was not his responsibility anymore. And then he became the biggest friend and, and then party animal with me. And, you know, I think he did it right. My mom was the, um, was the loving super Catholic uh, who made sure our soul um, was, was, you know, on the right track. I mean, she'd probably be devastated if she knew half the shit I've done. Um, but, uh, but again, you know, it, it's having the right upbringing. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people aren't afforded that, 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 that grace life is luck. And some people just don't get lucky at, at the get go. It's what you make of it. And you know, it's just about working hard, but working smarter, you know, when you do it, you graduate med school, I'm assuming you did a residency. What was the turning point for you? Because I remember when I started my first business, similar to you, I love to buck the trend and go against the conventional way is of doing things. I decided at 19, I'm not going to go back to college. And my mom was very educated, doctor in education. Thank God we didn't have FaceTime at the time, because (laughs) if I would have had to look her in the face and tell her I'm not going back to college, it would have, I I don't know if I could have done it, but I actually went to a pay phone where you put money into a machine and you call people. This is way before a lot of people's time. Uh And I told her, I'm not going back to college. I'm making good money down here in South Florida. Started my first business, a couple hundred bucks, turned it into a multi-million dollar business. But there were many, many times in that process where I was had those sleepless nights, right? Where you're working mm-hmm. all day, you get home, you can't shut it off. When you graduated med school, did your residency, what led you to start your own healthcare practice? And this is going to sound like a sad thing to say, but it was just once you realize how broken traditional medicine is, you want no part of it. I mean, the day I graduated you know, uh, medical school and then um, I did a rotated internship because my business mind, you know, I, I went to medical school to be a businessman. And for what I do, I only needed a, um, a unrestricted license, which is a one-year um, rotated internship. I was accepted to UM or UM Jackson for PM&R, but after seeing what I could do without wasting three more years of learning things I'd never use again, I, I backed out of that, did an extra year after that, and then I just opened up. And it was a tough decision to make. I mean, you could accept it at one of the best PM&R, or which is physical medicine and rehabilitation residencies in the country. And, and to sit there and say, you know what, no thanks. There's a lot of eyes that, you know, and, and furrows that, that, that take place over why are you doing this? But when you see 
an aspect of how traditional medicine is just made, made to basically prolong death. So you are considerably charged every month for your insurance and for medications. It, it just gets disheartening. And I, I wanted no part of it. I actually burnt my white coat on the, uh, the day I decided I would never be back in a hospital. It was one of those things to where if I want to do medicine right, how could I Frank Sinatra just do it my way? And that was taking my history of, you know, being athletic my entire life. I now had a nutritionist degree because I got that while I was in medical school as well. You know, I did some personal training on my own and I kind of combined all those into a lifestyle that, you know, you have to live through your medicine. If you take a look at my my Instagram or any of my my media that I mean, I don't really promote my business, but if you look at what I do, I promote the the the, the lifestyle this medicine brings. Whether it's jumping out of planes, tackling alligators, or doing I mean, doing whatever. The majority of my business comes from people just walking to me like, I want to do the same stuff. How do I do that? And it's about maximizing your your physicality, mentality, and emotionality on every level. People who are in shape tend to be unhappy because they are so focused on being in shape. And that's one of the biggest downfalls. You don't get to enjoy it. You know, it's just one of those situations to where when you learn how to manage the system, whether it's through hormonal therapy, whether it's through peptides, whether it's through IVs or a neurotransmitter balancing or whatever it could be, you can sit there and really, really augment a life, um, not not just prolong a death. That's what I wanted to bring to the forefront. And if you look at it now, it used to be neurosurgery and orthopedics were the hardest uh, form of medicine to get into. And those things are in the back burner now. I mean, the, the anti-aging regenerative industry, every single physician, my brother included, who is arguably the top neurologic reconstructive surgeon in the world, they fly him everywhere, are now trying to get more into this industry. Number one, because it is very beneficial or uh, very profitable. It's very, there's no call. There's, there, it's very, you know, patients enjoy coming in. Uh, but number two is because you're actually helping people. Um, you know, we, I mean, I, I have no training in neurology and for some odd reason, I'm becoming a specialist in treating Parkinson's. Um, just because, you know, I had one patient come in as a referral. I, we, we did it as a, uh, as kind of a, um, not an experiment, but, you know, he, he was on his last, last, hope, you know, seven years of it. He's 84, um, just a horrible life. And, you know, he wanted to come in and really see what we could do from a whole completely different angle. And within, you know, six weeks, we had this guy and he was enjoying life. And eventually I was able to get him out and go, go hand gliding, you know, a mile above, above the earth. So to see that kind of ability to treat things that are perceived as, as end stage, or there's no hope in, in traditional medicine, which for a lot of things, there is no hope for MS. There is, you just got to manage symptoms. It's nonsense. Um, and that's why I wanted to sit there and, you know, develop something in medicine that would give people hope, not only that they aren't going to die, but they're actually going to start to live for once in their life. So for our listeners out there, we've covered banana hammocks, <laughs> wrestling alligators, an 84-year-old guy. I mean, there there's probably 15 episodes here, so we may have to just do a series with Dr. Ivan here. Oh, I, and, I have uh, fun with it. You, and I know you do, and it's real. And what I really appreciate about you is just my interactions with you is you really do care about your patients, you care about the outcome, and you're not willing to just accept things as they are. So I just wanted to say I appreciate that about you. You've been oh, thank you. a good friend, and it's been inspiring to to watch you continue to succeed. I know when I met you, you were really early on mm-hmm. in the IV treatments ago, and yeah. talking about peptides. Uh, you had a little office at the top of the Delano Hotel <laughs> in Miami Beach. And now I it's love this, life. <laughs> people. Yeah, it was so easy back then, right? Uh-huh. It's definitely grown into a lot more than that. But it's well deserved just because again, you're getting results, people are living a better lifestyle. When you started the lifestyle medicine business that early on, what did you do? Because I know Miami is a very competitive place for looking good. Like you said, mm-hmm. it's the sexiest city in the world or one of. How did you 
differentiate what you were trying to do from people for your patients that other doctors were saying they were going to do, but weren't really able to back it up. Because what I'm saying is there's a lot of options in health, fitness, Everyone's got a new diet. Everyone's got a new workout. Everyone's got a new way that they want to treat people. How did you differentiate yourself from your competition in Miami? I used to really love this industry. And every day that goes by, I see one more gimmick, one more nonsensical thing that just some physician who graduates or comes out as a uh, whatever, you know, Harvard trainer could be thinks that they, they, they're going to find something new. And it's just, it's sad. The way I differentiate is by, is by how I looked, how I lived and how I acted. Um, you know, I'm non, non-apologetic, nor do I ask anybody to be apologetic. You, you know, I, I am what I am. And I think that's what kind of helped people, um, understand that, you know, I fucking love life. You know what I mean? Like there's not one person who, who enjoys life more than I do. And I attribute it to, to my health. And again, it's not just the health and how I look. And again, very seldom do you see a physician who's in shape anymore. Even this, you know, even in this new, you know, this new budding industry, it's a it's a bunch of overweight doctors who are already balding and can't do anything really outside. But they're they're sitting there p- pitching like they're going to give you the magic bullet that's like the next fountain of youth, which can be dangerous. You know, I have patients come in and like I, now I'm fixing more people who are coming to me because they've been hurt in this industry. They they've been overloaded with testosterone or given certain things like semaglutide and Ozempic the wrong way and all this kind of stuff. And it's just you know a, a lot of physicians are flooding this industry just because of the potential to make money in it. And then you have a lot of physicians doing it with with very, very cheap pricing, which, you know, that's one of the biggest things that I did. I found that, you know, my, my, my patients are some of the wealthiest people in the world, but they're also the most committed. I have people who, who save to come to me. And it's nice because when you, I always say if you if you buy a gym membership for $120 a month and you miss one day, you feel horrible about it. And that's how medicine should be because, you know, this is every day. It's 24 hours a day. You need to consistently monitor it. And when I first came out to differentiate myself, it was number one, how I looked and acted. And number two, my stance on if you want to do this right, let's do it right. You know, you are your most important asset. So if I'm going to invest in you as a patient, and I don't take too many patients, I have a very small practice. Everybody's a friend because I'm very selective about how in-depth I go with somebody. Um, so it's one of those situations to where, you know, you your doctor should be your hero. And there's a lot of a lot of physicians out there who, who who just want to sit there and you know get paid up front and then don't really care about the results. Um, but from day one, when I first started this, and there was nothing on the beach. We were the first people to do IVs on the beach. You know, I, my protocols were, I mean, were my own. But again, I'm consistently learning. I'm consistently on top of the game. Right now, we're about three years ahead of the curve, which is nice, you know, with the stuff that we do. But we'll do it. And then three years later, you see it on every single you know, magazine. You know, people are now doing it. But you have to be consistently learning and evolving and not just reacting. A lot of physicians are reactive. You have to be proactive. So that's how I kind of differentiate it. But again, also, this is the sexiest city in the world. You got to access, you got to be out there, you got to be seen, you got to be having fun in life. And that's why my my marketing isn't me sitting in a white coat trying to talk about how great I am and, and, and about what this medication does. Patients don't really give a shit about that. They want to sit there and say, does it work? And I prove that it works through what I do and through what my patients do. So that was probably the biggest, I guess, defining factor of how I was able as a 27-year-old country bumpkin from Pennsylvania to come down to the sexiest city in the world and, you know, nip tuck it as a, as, a, <laughs> as a Christian Troy would, if you ever watched that program back in the day and just kind of own a business that wasn't here at the beginning. Thankfully enough, I still, you know, pretty much command Miami Beach when it comes to what this kind of medicine is. And it's not because of the amount of money I put into marketing. It's just about word of mouth and word of mouth is the the most important form of true marketing. And that's why it's been kind of a very, very unique business scientific experiment down here in South Beach uh, with how I've grown this into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love these talking to a hockey player, man. That's, that, that, that's yeah, pretty I mean, much what we're known this for. This is amazing. So... <laughs> That will be one of the micro clips we create to drive traffic to the, uh, the podcast for sure. 
So for the people out there, I mean, you have obviously the who's who client list, not asking you who they are, but for people that want to take a step into integrative medicine or some of the things you've talked about, IVs, peptides, where do they learn about this? Like what, what's the first step they can take? Well, I think the first step you need to do is, you know, everybody has a physician, their primary care. The first step you should take is review your physician. Um, and trust me, I'm the most hated doctor among doctors, and I love that. Uh, doctors hate me because I consistently encourage my patients to challenge it. And if, if you're on a cholesterol medication, if you're on a diabetic medication, and you haven't been talked to about anything when it comes to diet, because all it is is a robotic process. You come in, you do basic blood work that only insurance covers, which is 1% of what you really should be testing. And then if you have a cholesterol that's a little bit high, then they throw you on cholesterol medications, which then limits your cholesterol. Cholesterol you build every hormone in your body. If you want to see and understand why people are aging so rapidly right now, it's because everybody goes on cholesterol medication and all of a sudden you can't make testosterone, you can't make DHE, you can't make any adrenal hormone. And that's that's why you're seeing so much disease. So I think the first step every patient needs to do is really sit back and review what they're on and why. And if and, and, and if there's a way to get off of it, you know, my biggest thing is taking people off of medications, taking people off of anti-anxieties and antidepressants and all this other nonsense. That's just is a band-aid on a hemorrhage that is, you know, a, a major problem. But 90% of it can be solved by lifestyle decisions, which is why this is lifestyle medicine. Everybody gets a diet program. Everybody gets a fitness program if they want it. People get counseling and I'll be the first person to tell them to, okay, you're in a horrible marriage. That's why you feel like shit. You have, you know, terrible kids, quit whatever it could be. But I think it's, you know, that's, you know, a doctor should be the person who not only delivers bad news and in a situation where it needs to be, but also gives you the advice that I think a best friend should, which is not always good. You know, helping people make decisions that are going to help fix a problem is, is probably the most, you know, the biggest superpower a doctor has, but none of them want to use it. Um, so the first step, I think, you know, you need to reevaluate who, who, who you're being seen by. And then the second thing is diagnostic testing, because everything I do when it comes to prescribing hormones and everything else, it's all based off of who you are internally. And again, you're different than him, than her, than everybody. So everybody has a different program with me. It's not a one size fits all. And, you know, medicine this day and age is a one size fits all, which is completely bullshit. You, you go through and over the years, I've developed certain panels, which are all basic stuff. You can get done in any, any lab that are they're really important ones. And I think that's what, you know, people need to start doing now is seeing exactly who they are. I like everybody's doing Fitbits and all this other stuff, but I mean, that's, eh, <laughs> it's somewhat, you know what I mean? Like you need to really see what, what your diagnostics are. And then from there, you can start looking at everything else because that's, that's your foundation. Your foundation is, is you finding out who you are and what you need first and foremost. After that is when you start looking at peptides and hormones and all that kind of stuff. And there's, there's a lot of good information, you know, I, I used I learned a lot of stuff from the A4M, which is a, it's a governing body, which credentials a lot of physicians who do this right now who are looking for it. And that's where you can go there and just start Googling and, and, just, and, just, and just kind of researching. And if it's something that, you know, you see on major news and they're promoting it, I would say go, go, go against whatever it is because that's all nonsense. But, but yeah, first and foremost is, you know, reevaluating who you are, who you're being seen by, and then kind of taking a look at uh, what, what you are internally. So you have a very successful healthcare practice and uh, or lifestyle medicine business in Miami. So now to talk about your personal life and it's actually combined with the business. I've seen some crazy things on Instagram, your Vimeo channel. Most recently, you almost had your hand bitten off by a tiger shark. So not only do you live life by the edge, but you're also a pretty smart guy listening to you. But Tell us about that experience with the tiger shark. The whole tiger shark aspect was was, was super unique. I, I went there, and again, I, I do a lot for the when it comes to the medical adventures for uh, the company's name is Balls Deep Living, which I love. Um, and uh, so, is that was, your co- hold on? So, is that your company? Yep, Balls Deep Living was my okay. my creation. It, it, it originally was T Rex got a hunt, and then I transitioned to something that's more, I guess, kitschy and more fun you, and more I mean, me. Based yes, on the exactly. sound bites of 
we've had already. I think. <laughs> oh, that, it's, it's, it's and with it, what it is is you know you <laughs> sit there and if if I'm gonna promote an experience and do it, I, I always go and try it first, uh, just to make sure it's something that I would consider and something that's worth it. I guess you could say, and something that I want to take patience with because I, I actually go on all these adventures with them. So uh, this one was a uh, scuba diving trip to it's called Tiger Beach. It's what you whenever you see Shark Week, it's what's what's always Killing on there. Me. It's always the clear clear water with the gigantic sharks, um, and it's something I love doing. I'd done this for my birthday um, back when I turned 35. I did it the first time and you know, I'd run the boat myself and it was just myself doing it. But this time I work with a specific charity called Shark Team One, um, which is a 503C charity, a 503C charity, which is everything's a write-off. So it's always a good thing. Um, and along with that, so I had gone out there with them. I did it. There was a group of I think it was eight people on the boat and it was six dives over three days. You know, they're giving us all these rules, you know, like if the shark comes here, do this, that, and the other. And, you know, I'm, I'm not paying attention. I'm, and um, <laughs> I get down there and I'm the last person to go. And of course you're supposed to wear all black because if it's black, right. a shark doesn't want it. If it's white, it thinks it's a fish or something you're feeding them. So everybody goes in there and I, you know, I get the cameras ready. So I go down. I have a bright pink and blue BCD on, which they were not happy that I had, and I forget my gloves. So it's just, a, it's, a, it's just, a, it's not, not in a bad way, but you know, I was kind of a mess, but a happy, fun mess. And I get to the bottom, and within ten seconds of me hitting the bottom, because you sit at the bottom and like they feed them in the middle, and they come by you, and you sit there and watch them. Both, both of the two sharks, and one was a thirteen foot, one was an eleven foot. Uh, the thirteen footer was pregnant, so she was monstrous. The one comes at me, and I'm not paying attention to the other one coming at me because I'm so mystified. I'm watching this gigantic tiger shark for the first time come at me the guy had told us if you hear a bunch of clinking like tink 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 because under the waters noise is amplified uh, he says if you hear that you know somebody's in danger and he goes it'll probably never happen but you know if you hear that just everybody needs to look around because there's somebody that's that's, that's in danger and of course you know i get down there i'm looking at the shark and i hear the tink 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 and as i turned my body to see what it was, I literally pulled my hand out of the shark's mouth as it, I felt the water as it closed right on my hand. And thankfully enough, I have two videos of it. Uh, to prove I, that saw I'm not <laughs> I saw the video. I saw the video. I'm like, this guy, I, I've seen you standing on top of an airplane. I don't know if that was real. Like you were standing on top of an airplane oh, while it's flying. Yes, yes, yes I've yes. seen you bungee jumping, but the shark is what got me. I mean, uh, you were... It, it, There's it, no putting that thing back on. It, it, it wasn't. Again, you're, you're two hours out by slow boat. So I mean, like, you know, if I hit that and it hits the right artery, it's maybe Dr. Ivan doesn't make it back. But it was funny. And like, you know, I, I've had now I'm, I'm, I'm up to nine near death experiences where I literally thought I was going to die. Yeah, that was number eight, uh, which was only three weeks or four weeks ago. So imagine how, how, how interesting. So what's my happened life. since then? Uh, I just the Arctic trip. So another trip okay. I had booked two years ago was to um, Pond Inlet, which is like the third highest city north so basically the uh, the north pole almost there it's the arctic circle midnight sun it's crazy and you go and stay in the flow edge the flow edge is called a line of life because as the ice melts in the summer the narwhals and all the whales come 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 by uh by like right next to the edge of the ice to get to their breeding ground so you go up there and you'd stay in these fancy tents and you eat all this fancy food and you go out and watch the narwhals and the polar bears come walking by and you just chase them around it's, it's really cool you know but we get there and lo and behold we, we get caught in one of the most crazy freak arctic blizzards you know i'm supposed to have an arctic blizzard there this time of year and like we, we get a thing like we got to go like our guides are like yo we got two hours 
hours. It's a two and a half hour trip back. We're going to get caught in this. It came out of nowhere. So we take off and like halfway through it, like we have Inuit, which now I understand. I mean, you know, I grew up with Eskimo pies and Eskimo kisses and all this stuff, but Eskimo is not what you're supposed to be saying apparently. So it's called Inuit. So now I know that. And um, so we get halfway back and, you know, my my guide had given me polar bear gloves that his, his wife had made for him out of polar bear skin. It was crazy. And we're bundled up, you know, heading back. And all of a sudden we get to a complete whiteout where we can't see, you know, gigantic mountains anywhere. And we're, we're going down a frozen, a frozen uh, fjord. And we, they just stop the things and say, everybody just hunker down. We have no clue what's going on. So we hunker down for like 30 minutes and it's just blowing. Snow is piling up. You got like two inches of snow on you and you're just, you're just sitting there. Of course, again, I was probably a little high. So what's going we, through your mind in there though? I mean, hang out. You're, you're talking about a near death experience, mm-hmm. North Pole. Mr. Norwell from Elf is there. I'll be honest, Adam, you know, and thankfully, courtesy of the ketamine therapy I've done for myself, and, you know, I've done many treatments on myself, the fear of death, uh, the biggest fear of death I have is is dying in a very un-Ivan-like way. And I was thinking to myself while this was going on, like, if, if this is it, if we can't find a way back and we freeze to death out here, what a great way to go. You know what I mean? Like top of the world, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, Literally, granted, I don't want to die, but if I, we all, right. we all finish second in life. So I mean, like it's a situation where it's like, I was like, well, okay, this is okay. But the thing that, that really got me was when you sit there and you see your, your guides, you know, smoking cigarettes and just kind of like hunkered down, they aren't that worried. So I'm just like, well, I mean, this is dangerous, but you know, I'm going to worry when they worry. And, you know, thankfully enough, we got through it and they, they had one GPS and it was, that was the only, I mean, if, if they didn't have that GPS thing, we, I don't know if I, I, I seriously don't know if we'd have got back, but you know, it, it, it took days away from the naturalistic part of what that experience was. But through that, it was the first trip I got to take that I really discovered the beauty of different cultures because the Inuit people some of the most amazing people in the world. And again, you, I spent a lot of money on this trip. I had actually taken a page. There was a patient was with me too, go figure. Um, and you know, I want to see polar bears. I've seen narwhals. We saw polar bears. We've seen narwhals. But that trip was was worth every penny. And it was one of the coolest trips ever. And I'm actually planning on going back up in August to Manitoba to do the Churchill. You swim with, uh, there's a thousand or so beluga whales that come in to breed and the, and the things you get in the water and swim with them, wild ones. Uh, that exact Well, it was trip. funny. I texted you about that. I was yep. like, hey, what do you think about these guys? You're like, man, I had that trip booked. 100%. In two- no, and now true. after listening to this, I should have known that you had already planned that. I'm surprised oh, you weren't sure. on it. But, oh, uh, for, well, again, yeah, I'm, I'm still saving my pennies to, <laughs> to yeah. get on that one. Um, so yeah, that's why I was a 25, 26. You know, I, I have different funds. And like, so for me, every time you see me, I'm just waiting for my next adventure, which is what gives life uh, meaning, I think. And it also gives me the drive to work harder uh, and, you know, help more people, but at the same time, help myself to be able to, to see more and do more. Um, and I think that's probably the, the, the most important part about what I've learned when it comes to, you know, to, to working hard is also you, you really have to play hard. One of the things you mentioned is that life is experiential. And as we close here, that is really the purpose of this podcast is to get people to enjoy the experience of life using the bricks of life as to build a strong foundation instead of carrying these emotional bricks of even things you've done in the past that were good, right? People hold on to past accomplishments. Oh, remember in 2010, when I did this, you didn't stop at Mr. USA. You didn't stop at the lifestyle medicine business. You didn't stop wrestling an alligator. Now you're talking about going to see the Titanic. So you continue Mm -hmm. to use life for you and those experiences. You sound very emotionally healthy as well. Is there something you can share 
with our audience of an experience that could have been viewed as a negative for you, but you were able to turn that into a positive? Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Um, In 2015, on July 2nd, in probably the most expensive restaurant in all of Miami, and I preface that for a specific reason, I was arm wrestling one of the uh, bodyguards of one of my patients who invited me to come there. This guy's father was the only person to beat Bruce Lee in competition. So it was, you know, one of these chicks at on his the shoulder restaurant. at the restaurant, private okay. room. Yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was a very expensive okay. room with a very expensive people. So we sit there. And again, one of the things I learned from it was always set yourself up to win. And, you know, a couple of drinks in, you know, that's the one thing with alcohol. I love it. I mean, I, I was actually having a drink when, <laughs> when we started this. Um, <laughs> but it, it definitely does numb uh, your ability to actually think, think collectively. And I mean that by saying is, so we wanted to arm wrestle. And, you know, I'd set myself up on the wrong side to where, you know, if you're going to arm wrestle, you make sure it's, it's, it's legit because, you know, if you grab a table twist there's a lot of bad things that can happen i couldn't grab the table he could and something bad did happen it broke it shattered my humerus so i i, broke I my remember arm. this oh yeah i yeah, saw yeah. you when this happened you can't and you were so nonchalant about it mm-hmm. there was something like I'll, i may not be able to use my arm ever again or something ever. and then you're like how's the weather exactly. it was very conversational well, it's, it's one of those things and again like you have to practice what you preach and again there was a situation to where i went to the best specialist down here i i, I was saddened by how how traditional that they they were treating the situation and actually how hard it was to actually even get in. The reason I had such a problem with, with the healing, not, not, not the healing of it, what happened was because it, it was on uh, uh, July 4th weekend and no orthopedic surgeon wanted to come in. So that, I mean, I should be retired right now after I sued Mount Sinai for what they did, but it is what it is. So I don't see anybody. My arm heals the wrong way. I finally get to see somebody 10 days later. And with all the hormones and stuff that, I, that, I, that I'm always on, I mean, I, I heal incredibly fast. So the bone healed the wrong way. So during surgery, they actually had to break my arm again, which unfortunately gave me a wrist drop. And it was it was a very severe wrist drop to where I, I mean, this was me. You'd be like, give me, I'll, I'll give you $10,000 to give me a, you know, to, to, to do a thumbs up. And I'd be like this the entire right. time. So they gave me a claw. So I had a claw that would just, I mean, I could grip and I couldn't come up with it. So I go into, um, in, in, into Baptist and uh, I, I do the e, uh, EMGs with, uh, with the people who are looking to see my nerve conduction. And it was funny. I was dating a girl at the time. I just started dating her. And you know the the nurse look. Or the, I'm sorry. The uh, the physician looks at me. She goes, "Honey, you're never going to have your right hand back. Your nerves are completely dead." So to sit there and all of a sudden have your life crashing down, just being like, "You now don't have a right arm. It's going to wither. It's going to look horrible." I mean, you were. I, I was the king of South Beach. I mean, I was loving. It. I was great right. shape, making this, that, and the other. And all of a sudden, it's like, "Wow, you just got your you know your wing clipped." Uh, and within six weeks, I, I had my entire function back in my arm. So much so that you know, like I still have the X-ray, and I still have every document that that, that they said I would never have it. And it just went to the point to where while I was in that hospital the first night, they had to give me ketamine. And ketamine, I'll be honest, is what changed. The reason I'm sitting here talking to you and the zest for life is because of what ketamine did for me, which was show me that there is so much more to life than accumulation. I had always been so focused on being the biggest, the strongest, the best looking, having the best this, having the best this, which is which is the stupidest way to go through life. But again, dumb kid from you know Pennsylvania who comes in and he's thrown into the biggest pond in the world. You, you, you try, you think you need that to make yourself worthwhile. And it was a situation where I reformulated my entire life in 45 minutes of one of the deepest K holes I. Could possibly imagine. And I came out of it with with a new look of, you know, never 
never chase the rabbit. And by that, I mean, like, you know, never chase things in life. You sit back, relax, and just be calm. Everything will come to you. And it was so beneficial to me. It actually is what led to me opening my, my clinic over here, Plasticity, one of them, um, which has helped out so many people from people who are suicidal to people who are just overall anxious, depressed. We have people, Parkinson's, you name it, that we're, I'm using ketamine in ways that never thought possible. And if it wasn't for that day, um, you know, I wouldn't be here. That practice wouldn't be here. And a big dent that I had made in the world wouldn't be here. Um, so I think, you know, as you say, something that could be perceived as horrible. I mean, like getting, you know, told that you'll never have your right arm back when you're right-handed uh, could be perceived as, as one of the worst things in the world to ever happen to somebody. But it turns out that was the best day of my life. I remember seeing you like this. So I am a witness. I did see this happen. And now mm -hmm. I see you doing backflips in South Beach. I see you doing <laughs> one hand martial art moves on Instagram. So I really appreciate you being on the show today. Oh, More importantly, I appreciate your friendship over the last 13, 14 years. Likewise, Very likewise. inspirational guy. And for those of our listeners that are out there, there's a lot of feminization of men right now. <laughs> yes. And I saw Ivan do this. And so you would actually fit in very well. I did, man. I was very liberal for a minute. <laughs> yes. Today's very uh, feministic male culture. It's good to see someone pioneering how men re-inspiring people on how men were designed to be, live and act. We don't have to all push the limits like you do, at, but there's just something about being in shape, uh, taking care of your responsibilities, being an entrepreneur, growing a business. And what I know about you is that you really do want to change people's lives. And I think that is the authenticity that you carry that a lot of doctors don't. And it's not their fault. It's nothing against doctors as people, but it's the system, the healthcare system. It's very symptom-based instead of getting to the root of the issue in a holistic way, which is mind, body, spirit, physical fitness, nutrition, all the things that you've talked about today. So no, for sure, Ivan, for we, sure, Dr. Ivan, we oh, appreciate you. <laughs> I'll call you Ivan. But this has definitely been the most interesting podcast I've had so oh, far. Awesome. And for people that do want to learn more about you and your journey, we're going to put their link in the bio of the podcast. And then people that want to follow you on Instagram and your crazy adventures, <laughs> what is the Instagram name that they will or hashtag that they will want to look up? Oh, it's just, I mean, I have several, but it's just Dr. Ivan Rosoko. We'll, we'll, we'll lead you to all things chaotic and crazy. So, so we will, uh, close the podcast on that note. And I want to thank everyone for listening today. If this podcast did inspire you or any of our podcasts, please share this with other people. It's all about sharing our stories that really brings inspiration. So Ivan, thank you for being on the show. My